0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com slash HRN.
2: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a better egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st slash hrn.
1: This week on Meat and 3, we dedicate our stories to elders, grandparents, and family members who came
3: before us. Some people called on the phone, what time is your appointment? Mine's... 245, our friend the dentist, he, he was 330, and it was like a social
2: event. It's a small island. A lot of them I knew when I was a kid. So it was, you know, to really help them feel like they, they weren't alone.
4: It's partly this
5: communal nature of food, and so it can operate as a bridge,
1: um, not just between neighbors and friends, but also between the living and the dead. Listen to Meet in Three wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm your host, Adon Sanchez, alongside my lovely mother,
4: Sarera Martinez.
5: Well, we are very excited to have all of you guys listening and tuning in. Um, We're inviting someone that I consider my tia, my aunt. Uh, she is an amazing woman that I've known since I was a young boy, um, and uh, she is an unbelievable resource uh, for all things food. Uh, She's, um, of course, we're talking about Anne Mendelson, and Anne is a writer and a culinary historian. She has co-authored three books with my mother, um, and we still talk. Mm-hmm. And we, and we guys still talk, obviously. Um, she's my mom's uh, co-writer from her all three books, Food from My Heart, The Food and Life of Oaxaca, and Sara Las Veracruz. Uh, she's a dear friend of my mom, as you can imagine. She began her culinary career as a cookbook reviewer for Bon App, uh, and she later became a staff editor at Cuisine and served as a contributing editor uh, at Gourmet as well. So, uh, she comes with so much great knowledge and background, and she is, I just think, someone that's an unbelievable resource, and she's just lovely, and I'm so excited, and I know my mom and I are so excited to have Anne back with us. Thank you so much, Anne. And today we're going to be covering a subject that is near and dear to my mom and all three of us, uh, which is the idea of lard and other cooking fats. Uh, I think we should rename this, this episode, Mom, Praise the Lard. Right.
6: Yeah, like the article.
5: That, yes, and which is the article that I'm sure you will cover as we go into it. So let's welcome Anne.
6: Well, welcome. thank you. It's great to be here. I just I just came across that article again uh, the okay. other day that uh, praised the lard article uh, in the L.A. Times. Yes. Yes.
4: Well, that's how I got into this whole subject of lard, because Ruth Rachel called me to, to write an article about lard. And so I started doing all this research and became fascinated with it because, I mean, lard was everyday thing for me. It wasn't like a very special thing. And I remember that I was talking to everybody and I talked to Kurt Vonnegut, you know, the author. And, and he said that everybody was making such a big deal about eating food with lard. He said, isn't it f- funny how people who would never try something like that make such a big deal about it? You know, and, and, it's, and it's true. That's how I started the article. In any case, but this this is a wonderful subject.
5: And let's talk a little bit about lard and how it's been used over over history. Um, why it's such an important fat. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about its its health pro- uh, properties because I know it's 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 this big misnomer that lard is bad for you, uh, as opposed to other kinds of of cooking fats or cooking mediums. So I, I'd be interested. So we can touch a little bit about some of its history how it was initially used, how it's made uh, culturally, and how it affects Mexican cuisine as well.
6: So Anne would be the perfect person to do this. Well, I I would like to start out by pointing out something that, well, Serena and Aron know this, uh, but a lot of Mexican food lovers uh, probably don't. When the Spanish invaders, when the invaders got to Mexico, Uh, The indigenous people were not cooking with lard. Uh, Not only that, they used absolutely no cooking fats. They did not fry. They did not saute. They didn't put any extraneous fat in the food at all. Uh, But this doesn't mean it was a fat-free diet, um, because um, there are so many foods that are naturally rich in fat. Just think about avocados, think about chocolate, which they used as a beverage, of course, Um, but- uh, Coconut? Yeah, well, uh, there were these various, yes, these various sources of natural fat. And so the um, Aztecs, the Maya, the other indigenous peoples, they were not deprived, they had a very rich diet. But the Spanish um, arrived thinking, oh, you know, what is the matter with these people? How can anybody be so dumb not to cook with lard or with butter or with olive oil? And the peoples in Mexico thought, how can the Spanish be so dumb to cook with these horrible tasting things? Because they, they found them very, very distasteful. Uh, We all know that that changed, but there was no pre-Hispanic history of lard or any other cooking fat.
4: Well, plenty of colonial times.
6: So um, the Spanish um, got to every part of what they called New Spain, and they write back and they tell the king um, back in Madrid, uh, here is this land that is Perfect for growing all kinds of wonderful uh, old world crops: uh, olives, uh, wine grapes, uh, wheat, um, and um, everybody will think of olive oil. Uh, well, the the invaders uh, made a start. Uh, they planted a lot of olive trees in uh, regions where um, they would grow, exactly. and they had a great time until uh, back in Madrid. The colonial policy wonks said, Oh, no. They were afraid of the colonists in different parts of their empire, uh, from New Spain to the Caribbean um, and the Andes, Uh, they would develop enough food independence to start trading with each other. And the Spanish wanted a monopoly um, on all these things uh, wine grapes and wheat uh, and all the uses of olives so they destroyed all the trees and that is why uh, there's been no olive oil in Mexico until very recently except in Veracruz and uh, well Sorella knows about that. Anyhow um, that's some of the background. Oh I want to say one more thing about the Spanish um, and lard which is um, during the Spanish Inquisition, when they were going around uh, looking at all the people who claimed uh, they had converted from Judaism or Islam, well, they spied on them. Uh, Your neighbors spied on you uh, to see whether you were avoiding pork. And people who did not cook with lard (laughs) came under, (laughs) Suspicion. So this is part of why the Spanish were so insistent on using lard. Okay. So, <laughs> so you- there
5: was a lard police. <laughs> at, 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 a pork police. At, at yeah. One, uh, one juncture in history, in Mexico. That's awesome.
6: Well, not in Mexico, but in Spain. Oh, I mean, in Spain. Yeah,
4: in yeah. Spain. So Anne asked me the other day, "How did your mom use lard at the ranch?" And, uh, and we checked with Socorro. I, I mean, I remember that she used lard all the time. But Socorro told us something very interesting. She said, when they, she was running low on, on lard, she would melt three kilos of this, this shortening that was called Inca. She would melt and then mix it with the lard so it would go further. Mm. And then, and then Anne said, uh, about, and how about the oil? She said, no, no, the oils were only reserved for salads. Not, yeah. not for cooking, not for cooking. But, but sh- shall we tell them how how they, they, well, they let's do the Let's
5: talk a little bit about how, how do you make lard for the home yeah. cook? How, how, how do you go by that process uh, of extracting the liquid form of fat,
4: right? Well, there's there's two ways to do it. You can do it in the oven, which is slower, but it's more pure and easier to control, you know, like three, three, at 300, you know, for about two hours. Something like that. I like to make it on the top, on top of the stove. You get unsalted pork. For-
6: Could I interrupt? Maybe you should sure. go back to when uh, they slaughtered the pigs and you had all that wonderful fat. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, we we, uh, we we spent all this uh, all this time fattening up this pig. And we had a very large cattle ranch, and there were outposts, you know, where people where the cowboys would live with their families to make sure that that there weren't any c- cattle rustlers mm-hmm. and so they, they they guarded that part but once once around christmas time they would kill this pig that they had been feeding lovingly all the scraps of my mother's wonderful cooking and then all these ladies would come down from the from the mountain outpost and we would all get together at the at the in the big kitchen that we had at the ranch and mm-hmm. we would make we would cut the fat and have a big tub over wood fire rendering it to make lard, and it would make the most delicious cracklings. You know, part we always left a little bit of meat on it, and I love the meat on it. And my, but I either, My sister uh, loved all the fatty part. But we know we made tamales. We made carne adovada, carne con chile colorado. We made morcilla, which I'm not fond of. And then, uh, and, and then. You mean we the would blood make, sausage? Yes. It was, yeah. You know, and then was. Which is pichuula. quite
5: delicious, mom.
4: <laughs> I know, I but believe. I don't like it. But anyway, so, so then, my, they would give them one leg of the, of the, of the pork to, to divide among themselves. And it was, it was just like this really beautiful, festive atmosphere there. But in Oaxaca, what they do is, let's say that we want to make it at home. Go get some unsalted pork fat from your butcher. They, they do sell it or they do sell it separately, but it's very expensive if you buy it like that. And you're gonna, you're gonna cut it. It's hard to cut sometimes, but you can freeze it or make it very cold and then it's easy to chop up, you know. If, if you leave the skin on, it'll be very hard to do. So some, sometimes you, it's better to get it without skin. Or, you know, let's say that you're cooking pork at home, cut off all the fat like for, from spare ribs or whatever you have. Put it in the bag and start saving it. And when you have about a pound or two, you can, you can start rendering it. So you put it on top of the stove by itself and on very low heat until it starts to render. When you have like a, a certain amount of, of, it, you know, the first, the first part is going to be very clear, white lard. And you, you're going to pour it out and, and leave the chicharrones which at this point will be a little bit soft, but not completely soft. And then you, you cook that until that renders out and it becomes a yellow lard. Manteca Maria. In Oaxaca, they make this wonderful bread with, with this lard. But what's really used in Oaxaca is the asiento, which are the little dried pork cracklings and the sediment that, that's left in the pan from, uh, and you, you know, you use that as a spread. And they make this delicious tlayudas, this gigantic tortillas with, with asiento. And then to put the beans and everything on top is like a big pizza.
5: To be clear, the asiento is basically all the sediment and all the little crispy bits that fall to the bottom of the cauldron or pot when you're rendering your your fat to make lard.
4: And the last the last rendering you have to be very careful because in a second it could burn. Yeah. Any other thoughts then? Well, it
6: always has a soft texture compared to butter. It has a, I guess, a lower uh, melting point. Do I mean a higher, a higher melting point? So it, so it stays um, more liquid. So that's why it's unsaturated. It's more unsaturated than butter.
4: Yeah, and also, you know, when you buy lard in the supermarket in the blue package, that has been made to be- become hard. So they saturate the atoms to make it hard. Hydrogenated lard is Hydrogenated Lard is terrible. So that's, that you, you, you don't want to do that. But the lard that you make at home is two thirds two unsaturated, plus it has oleic acid, which is the same thing that olive oil has that that uh, helps reduce cholesterol. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: So in essence, yeah, lard at times can be healthier than butter if you if you can make at all make times it. You can make the argument. Um, I think you talked a little bit about that beautiful process of butchering the pig, and sort of the majesty behind that. Here in Louisiana, where I currently live, they do something called a boucherie, where they where people in rural parts of Louisiana will slaughter a pig, and they, oh. every and you, you, you camp out for like two days, and there's t- specific teams that get certain parts of the pig, and they'll make boudin, sausage or one team will make the cracklings, another team will make uh you know start oh, making the fun. gumbo. And it's a very beautiful process. And one of the big parts of that is rendering the fat to make lard. So that 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 sort of uh tradition also permeates other cultures, which I find very interesting.
6: Yeah, I love that. The boucherie. I'd like to point out something that uh, it's pretty clear to me because of where I live in New Jersey. Um and it's probably going to be clear to a lot of other people there are Mexican immigrants coming to this country in spite yeah, of man. the Get last of here, uh, in spite <laughs> of the last administration. And uh, wherever you have a big Mexican population um somebody is making lard. Yeah. In my part of Jersey, just yesterday in a supermarket, Uh, I saw Aztec brand and uh, Miranchito brand, uh, Mexican lard. The Aztec is a little ironic since the (laughs) Aztecs didn't use lard. But um, it comes in these uh, quart plastic containers and it is, it's not white. It has a sort of a a tan. Brownish. Yeah, tan light brown um, color, and you can see a little bit of the cracklings at the bottom. Yeah, I use that all the time. I bet that um, in every part of this country where you have a Mexican community, you can find some brand. Well, you know the thing is that
4: the thing is that you can't make tamales without this lard. Mm-hmm. You know, because tamales—if you make them with butter. Or if you make it with shortening, they're going to be like rocks. Wait,
6: I've seen you, Sarah, beating up the dough, the masa for the tamales. Could you explain how you do that and how you incorporate the lard? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, I, I beat the lard until it's like really, really fluffy. And then I start incorporating that still in the, on the mixer. If not, you could also do it by hand, you know, and then then you put your essence in it, you know, which I have to tell that story. But, uh, well, since we're in the subject, one time we landed one of the, all my cousins and everybody would go stay at the ranch for the summer, and one time we happened to stop by this, the, the home of one of our, the husband of Nayo, the the manager of the restaurant in Mayordomo. In any case, she said, hi, why didn't you let me know that you were coming? I would have I would have done something for you and uh, said, how was I going to let you know? We only had a shortwave radio that you had eight minutes all day to tell how much rain you had. And so she says, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some enchiladas for you. But I'm going to soak the chili and I'm going to now use a blender. I'm going to take the pulp off with my hands and rub it b- between my, my hands. And that will put my essence into
6: this dish. And that is my gift to you. That's when you when you make the masa for the tamales, beating it with your hand. Yeah, that's exactly. a better tool and it, it puts your essence into it.
5: Yeah, just really quickly while we're on the subject of tamales, just for everybody, I have a simple recipe that I've learned from you and probably my mama, but for everybody that's listening, a quick simple recipe for the tamale dough is I've always done four cups of masarina. Or, or you know, maseca or corn flour for tamales. And I use one cup of rendered lard fluffed up, like you said, mom, to two cups chicken broth. And that mm. is always uh, uh, a fail-proof recipe. Four cups of masa, two cups of, of broth, and one cup of nice fluffy lard.
4: Oh, that's and, fantastic.
5: And that right there is, is, is an automatic recipe that works every time. Okay.
4: The thing is that Anne used to say that the that the reason that the 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 lard is necessary for tamales and pastries and everything because every fat has a different size crystal in it, and lard has the, the highest crystals. So it, with tamales, it's an incredible proportion. You know, if you're using masa, because it's like one pound of lard to three pounds of, of masa, which is a lot. And the, but you're gonna steam them slowly, and most of the fat is gonna it's going to come out and you will be left with this wonderful fluffy corn delicacy that, that if you made it with any other fat, it would be hard as a rock. Or not maybe not as a rock, but it's it would be hard.
6: Another thing about lard compared to shortenings or vegetable oil, lard has a real flavor of its own.
5: I agree. And... Let's talk a little bit about some of the different applications, Mom, because I think we know, let's talk a little bit about when you add lard to beans and it becomes chinito and how literally the fat rises to the top. Let's talk a little bit about the technique of when you make mole, how you bring all those ingredients together by frying it in lard, and, and that's that one step that really brings the mole together. Let's talk a little bit about those techniques.
4: My mom used to make this beans that were like, almost like, like a snack, but they were, you know, she would, she would cook them in lard until they kind of got semi-hard and sort of burst into this, you know, this little flour. And I've tried to duplicate it and it, it it works, but not, but not with the Rancho Gordo beans that worked the other day. So that's one technique, but the refried beans, if, if you, if you don't, can't do them with lard, they just don't form that crust that, that forms on top of the beans, you know. Well, because in my family, in the family, we used to grind up the beans and then cook them with the lard and then put it in the oven. And mm. when you put it in the oven, it forms a, a crust on the top that's fantastic, you know, with a flour tortilla. It's delicious. And that brings me to the subject of making tortillas. A lot of people like to make tortillas, flour tortillas with lard.
5: And let's talk about the mole, the mole, mole technique, mom. Why that's important?
4: Well, because because it melts all the flavors together. You know, I mean, most mole's have like twenty-seven ingredients. The, the real party mole's. There are a lot of them that are very simple and they don't care, have that. But what happens is that uh, that every ingredient that's going to go in there is going to be processed separately. It it might be it might be sautéed, or it might be. Mm-hmm. In lard it would be in lard, but everything is then toasted you know and then put together. So everything is done separately, which is one of the things that creates all the layers of flavor in mole. you know so if you have a teaspoon of mole, you taste it and it tastes like one thing but the next one's gonna taste like another because it, it's all layers of flavor. So that's why it's so so very important in mole
6: and other sauces. Yeah, it brings together the flavors.
5: Yeah. And let's, let's also talk about lard as a, a preservation medium, right? Because, you know, we, you, you know, you look in England, they do potted shrimp where, where they're basically in potted beef where they're taking, you know, cooked, p- cooked protein, put it into a jar and then covering it with a layer of butter or fat. To, as a preservative, uh, is, is there a tradition of using lard in that same regard?
4: I don't think so. In Mexico, no? I don't see it.
6: Do you, do you think so, Anne? I don't think so. I don't think they did that kind of preservation. Of mm-hmm. course, in uh, Southwest France, um, making confit, pork confit, uh, yeah. lard is the only thing you would use I there their traditions of lard Everywhere that people raised pigs all over the world. They use lard a lot, well, they used to in China before the food police started um, saying, oh no. Um, Italy, it's a, it's a tremendously important fat in Italy. Strata. Strutto. And many parts of France. Hungary? Well, you know George Lang
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
6: who did that wonderful Hungarian cookbook the uh, renowned rest, restaurateur and he used to sing the praises of lard mm-hmm.
4: uh, Before before we, we forget, George Lang had the absolute best quote ever about the restaurant business mm-hmm. He said, the restaurant business has gone the way of prostitution It's full of amateurs <laughs> And
5: remember, George would call everybody darling. Remember, he'd be like, "Hi, darling."
4: No, I don't remember. It that. didn't
5: matter if you were a male or a female. George would call, "Hello, <laughs> darling." Always impeccably dressed, amazing man. Of course, we're talking about George Lang, the owner of Cafe Yeah.
6: in
5: in New York City, in the Upper West Side. Amazing, amazing man who did so much for our industry. So, I know he's down there listening to this podcast upstairs, having a nice a nice little Bordeaux, laughing at all of us right now. Mm-hmm. So. Wonderful.
6: Well, I was just um, thinking, there are cookies that you used to make, Sorella. Oh yeah, absolutely. A the, the, short, the, the Christmas, you crisp and short. What do they call those? Uh, Biscochitos, bizcocho, bizcochos. B
4: i z c o c h o. But not polvorones,
5: right, Mom? Different from polvorones.
4: Yeah, polvorones. I, I usually mm. made with butter and yeah. and very finely chopped nuts. Oh, I love those. You know, the problem is that those are things that I love to have, but I don't. I don't have it. I don't make them because if I make them, i eat, I eat them all. You know, and it's just like I. It's like I start. I'm gonna. I'm only gonna eat two today. I put them away again. I don't know ago. I so I'll get another three. And then finally, by the third day, I say I'm just gonna eat them all right now, so I don't have to worry about temptation.
6: Was it in the Oaxacan cookbook that you had these little, sort of cookie-like Maybe they had cornmeal? No, no, yeah, pemoles, uh, pemoles. Pemoles, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how you made
4: those? Those were done with mazarina. And I think it has canela, lard, and, you know, and, uh, you know, flour. No, I don't, I don't think it has flour. Maybe, no, it doesn't have flour. But what's really good about that? what I like to do for that is to toast the corn. And let it dry and then grind the corn and make it into a, a version of that, of that, uh, that cookie. And it's kind of crunchy and, and it's, it, it has a totally different texture of anything else that, you know, that people have. I, I love it. And remember that the, I think of was called Bitiwinge in, in the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. They make this tiny little tamales in a circle you know, with lard and dried shrimp.
1: Mm. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN.
2: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.stt/hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious, plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andreas calls Just Egg mind blowing, and Bon Appetit says it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st/hrn. I think a good
5: thing to de- uh, delineate and also kind of distinguish is the idea of tallow. Because I, I think now the fats are, are, are being more widespread and people have a, 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 a stronger grip and understanding of different fats. Let's talk a little bit about what tallow is in reference to into like the traditional art that we're talking about. So tallow, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, and it's the fat that surrounds the kidneys, right? It's like a particular kind of fat or no? Am I incorrect in saying that? So what, how would you describe tallow?
6: The well, I think that there are different kinds of lard lard, that is pig lard, pork mm. lard. And there's a specially good one that is used a lot for baking, mm. especially. I don't know whether in Mexico so much, but in French cuisine. Um, and that's the fat from around the kidney mm. of the pig. Mm. But tallow is really um, beef fat uh, that you render in the same way Mm
5: -hmm.
6: and uh, I think that uh, I'm trying to remember there was this um, scandal uh, maybe 15 years ago 20 years ago at the height of the food police uh, coming down on everyone it was discovered that McDonald's fried their famous french fries in tallow
0: yeah
6: oh the horror the horror (laughs) i had to stop but i don't think it's a big tradition in mexico no no
5: but tallow just for everyone that's out there is is if you ever had a jamaican patty those wonderful little pastries Mm -hmm. from jamaica the crust is 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 is, and, and the dough is made with tallow and that's why it's so beautiful and buttery and rich and crisp. Yes, and crisp. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about tallow. It's, it's, it's derivative of beef, obviously. Um, we understand that, you know, the idea of rendering lard is is, is a process. It's something that is essential because it has such a, a, a big impact on flavor, right? Um, are there any other kind of... Um, B- fats that out there, animal fats or anything else that we that we should bring up. I think that I think that's a a really good part. You know, we're talking about you know olive oil, right? We we talked a little bit about sa- um, about tallow, lard. And- I think it's interesting to mention that. You know, you talked Ann a little bit about olive oil and how important that is. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that usually when a region grows wine, there's always olives groves kind of next to it right and i think that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting we'll talk a little bit about you you said you know the spaniards brought olive groves they brought venice vinifera they brought pork horses all these things to to the new world i just think it's interesting to kind of to touch upon that
6: but somehow after they got done destroying the olive trees people in mexico didn't cook so much with uh, olive oil unless it was imported from spain And uh, very expensive, you know. It was sort of like um, the Americans fighting over the tea (laughs) packs of the British. And somehow Veracruz, which is um, this long, skinny state, if you look on the map of Mexico, along uh, the Caribbean coast. The Gulf Coast the Gulf Coast, yeah,
4: the Caribbean. and
6: it was, um, um, it had big trade with Cuba, it had big trade all throughout the Caribbean, and maybe that's why they maintained more of a tradition of cooking with olive oil uh, in Veracruz than any place else.
4: Well, there's a, there's a dish that everybody can make, can have uh, camarones al ajillo. Anything al ajillo, you make it's kind of like a mixer of, of um, olive oil, and the, and then a little bit of salt and maybe some and crushed, lots of crushed garlic, not not chopped but crushed, very thoroughly in some salt, and then when I discovered there was this restaurant called Pardinos in Mexico City, and they had these camarones al ajillo that were amazing. And we went every day, every day to try to get the recipe. Every day to try to get the recipe. I mean, for four days, I finally, I asked the guy, do you have to go in there? And they asked the waiter, go in there and see how they make it. And he said, finally, he said, but le ponen rosa blanca. Rosa blanca is this chicken consomme cubes, like, mm. you know, like the North Swiss, the North Swiss test. So, so they make, they make this marinade with a North Swiss, uh, little chicken consomme thing. And then they mix it with olive oil, and and slices of of red chili, dried red chili, and and and, and slices of of the of the um, Anaheim or whatever you happen to have in, in hand. Mm-hmm. And you can make anything with it. You can make f- fish fillets. You can do shrimp. You can make vegetables. The 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 uh, mushrooms in particular, you know, are very 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 famous for. For dishes, you know, malagüeño. So I think olive oil is used a lot. There's an interesting kind of thing that they do in Oaxaca, because lard is so expensive. What they do is that they chop very, very thinly a bunch of onions, and they they get vegetable oil, and cook it very, very slowly until the uh, the uh, the onions almost disintegrate. Then they strain it. And that, that is an incredibly flavored oil, you know, and then and they strain it and they use that for sauteing, you know, like beans and everything else. Because yeah. if you if they can't afford either lard or vegetable oil, olive oil.
5: And I don't think there's nothing wrong with flavoring a lard. Like you how you would make a flavored oil, right? I think, you know, if you, if, I, I always like when I'm cooking, if I'm making carnitas, and I'm putting in a little bit of spices into that, or chile, I like to reserve that fat and use that as a cooking medium down the road a little bit. Because I think it, it, it only gets better, you know?
4: Well, they they use a oil for that, achiote. Yeah.
5: Well, I know, Mom, but I'm talking about carnitas. Like, anything that you're cooking in fat or confine, you want to reserve that and use that as, a, as something down the road that you can always kind of dip into your larder for.
6: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So to speak.
5: Yeah, exactly. exactly. No point intended, right? <laughs> that was for you, Anne.
6: <laughs> now, um, the other day, Serena and I we were talking about Mexican cooking fats, um, and I was asking a lot of questions about the ranch and about how um, your grandmother um, made butter. Oh, yeah. You, you churned your own butter yeah, we did. on the ranch. Uh, it's, you
4: know they would bring the the big pails of, you know that that was like one of my favorite things because I was like a, I was a little cowgirl, and I would wait every every morning every morning on the fence sitting there with my bridle in my hand, until the cowboy would come down with the remuda which were all the horses that, that were out overnight, and they bring him into the corral. But by then all the cows were waiting to be, were waiting to be milked. You know that was a lot of mooing or whatever they do. And then Lupe would would have had a little stool, and she would put a cup of uh, a thing, a pot of coffee, in those enamelware, uh, you know, blue and white things. Would and bring the big, big, and and the sock. You know the, how they the, the sock. The, I don't know if it's a sock, but it looks
6: like
4: it looks like a sock. But and then you put the coffee in there.
6: Oh, the coffee sock. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
4: Yes. And then, so then she would do that. We, she'd make us this big. We they had this huge cups, and then we would go directly to the tit and squeeze, you know, all the milk directly into it, and it would form like a like a cappuccino.
6: It forms. So it's
4: always delicious. So then they would bring the milk to the well. They would distribute it, but they would bring it to the house and leave it outside, which was interesting. What Paula mentioned yesterday. That, you know, so in any case, so it, this crust would form on the top, which is all the fat, and they would, she, my mom would take that. Natas. La, la natas. You know, what, it, those cookies that they make in Mexico City with natas, they're just to
6: die. If the milk is rich and the milk is unhomogenized, um, that cream layer will come to the top. And if it's really rich milk, um, it'll be very, a very thick. Textured, creamy layer. That's that's your natas, and that's was used. To, what is used to, to churn the butter? Did you
4: have a, a churn? Yeah, we had a yeah, we had a churn and a churner. So it
5: was like the traditional. <laughs> you had like something tall, right, Mom? Like a little. No, basil? not that
4: tall. About maybe twelve inches long, or maybe fifteen inches high, and then like about eight inches wide, or or more, or more. And then there was this paddle that that you mm. the, the, the it was part. There were wood and there were two or three pieces of wood on this thing that you would turn until until the the fat was separated. There were no food processors at that time, but in any case, it was just like really really fast to do, and it was so delicious.
6: So you worked salt into the butter.
4: Yeah, and you know the other thing is that we forgot another use for lard. When when we were when we had the newly made lard or even the old one. when they were making corn tortillas, we'd love to go spread it on the, on the tortilla and mm. put a little bit of salt and maybe some salsa and eat that with that instead of butter it, with the lard. It was delicious.
5: Divine, something so simple, something that connects the land, you know, the corn with the animal. And I think it's very symbolic when you think about lard and how it affects Uh, Mexican cuisine because it is the number one cooking utilized cooking fat in Mexico and uh, the tradition has not been lost Uh, I think nowadays you have all these young people that are are preserving the traditional food ways like honoring the the animal by utilizing all the different cuts and and making lard and making sure that that's all that, that that custom and that tradition is preserved I think it's beautiful
6: do you think it's under threat?
5: Yeah. And, you know, and Ann, you talked about the invaders. I love that. I, I think there's like a conspiracy. Uh, people are coming down on you, Ann, for all the things that you love. You know, there's a the large police. We got invaders. <laughs> we got people uh, coming down on you, Ann, about as, as far as changing the foodways. But we're going to stay strong. We're not going to let anybody impede what we're trying to get done here, which is, You know, obviously talking about these wonderful Mexican ingredients and making sure that they're recognized and and celebrated.
6: That's great, honey. (laughs) Don't tell me it's already time to go.
5: I think we're almost there, Mom.
6: Well, I had a question about you, uh, for you two guys. Okay. Um, I had forgotten to mention that one of the sources of fat in Mexican diets uh, before the Spanish invaders was squash seeds, uh-huh. all kinds of squashes. And this brings us back to when we were talking about squashes yeah. a year ago <laughs> on the same program. Well, anyhow, um, you make pepian out of uh, pumpkin seeds or squash seeds. And nowadays, of course, they do it, um, using lard. But it used to be that the only, um, the only fat came from, uh, the pipianas, the seeds themselves. So, um, you, Sara, when you were working on the Oaxaca book, you got a recipe from a Zapotec woman for a pipian. Made oh, yeah. without any added fat except the pumpkin seeds. Mm. And I don't know whether you have ever tried anything like that, Aron.
5: No, so basically what you're saying is that you extract the pumpkin seed oil, in essence, and, and that was, at one point, that was the, the cooking fat there.
6: Mm.
4: No
5: or no?
6: Not a, not a separate cooking
4: no, fat. You just, crushed yeah, gotcha, it. Gotcha. But the thing is that... In in Yucatan, they make this this tacos with egg, with with hard boiled egg. And they, they, what do they call it? Starts with an M. In any case, they they it's going to go in a pumpkin seed sauce. And they they what they do is they grind up the the the, the seeds and then and and mix it with water and continue to manipulate it, manipulate it, manipulate it until the oil is extracted. And they take that oil and use it to decorate the the tacos, you know yeah. and it has a tomato sauce, and then they take the oil, which is green, and they drop little drops on top of every of every dish, but it's a lot of work to make and You could just buy pumpkin oil now pumpkin seed oil
5: and before before we conclude, um please let everybody know how they can reach out to you and engage you in all things awesome food related and and um because we want everyone to use you as a resource all of our guests we've had an unbelievable distinguished lineup and we just want to make sure that people can reach out to you how will they do that
6: i guess um my my email is probably the best way Mm -hmm. um it's an a-n-n-e at a-n-n-e-m-e-n-d-e-l-s-o-n dot com wow Awesome. Before we close, I just want to tell, one time I,
4: I got together this group of people on how to do research. And, uh, and it was like it was um, Russ Parsons, who uh, Russ Parsons, who um, did how to ask the science question of where to find the answer, and did navigating the historical record. This was before the internet got so big. And I did how to penetrate a culture. It was a hit, and it, it was amazing to be. One of the things that I love about working with Anna is that she knows so much. And every every fact that's in all my books and everything, I know she has. I mean, we've had discussions about this.
6: Well, are you sure that there's a comma there? You know, Sorella <laughs> supplied all the real knowledge. Well, but
4: it's nothing, it's like getting a lot of beautiful fabric and not knowing what to do with it. <laughs>
5: Absolutely. And we know the value, uh, my mom and I of having an unbelievable co-writer, you know, I just, my memoir that just came out, um, you know, where I come from life lessons from a Latino chef, Steph Mm -hmm. Ferrari, um, was invaluable through, through guiding me through this process and capturing my voice. So we understand uh, how important it is to have a a team member, uh, a compatriot in, in this process where you're really exposing yourself Uh, And it can't be done without someone like you, Anne, for my mom. And I know, you know, and we appreciate you so much for all that.
6: Thank you. Thank you, Avalon. But I have to thank both of you. And I have to thank Sarah for anything I know about Mexican food. And for just enlarging my palate. Well, not just through the restaurant. But you and I used to sit in your kitchen, and I would be watching you cook, um, and we would be saying, was that two tablespoons or three tablespoons? Yeah. Um. Or why did you add that before this? Yeah, so that's why the, my
4: recipes are so perfect, because Anne wrote them, and they're <laughs> absolutely perfect. <laughs> I can write it now, but, but it, it, the first book, I mean, she was like, like a colonel there.
5: Yeah very meticulous and and stern.
4: Yeah. and stern well anyway it was a wonderful afternoon chat here with my dear dear friend the brilliant ann mendelson and my gorgeous son who was such a good director of this podcast it's just lots of fun to to get a chance to talk to you so closely like this is beautiful so thank you so much for joining us Anne, and and uh, I'll say goodbye, and then I don't will say goodbye. And yes, we'll-,
5: well, thank you so much, Anne. Again, uh, we've been talking uh, here on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z with the wonderful, all-knowing Anne Mendelssohn, who's, uh, again, like my tia, like my aunt. I've known her forever, and she's been somebody that's so- someone I can always lean on uh, as a, mo- a motherly figure, maternal figure, and just somebody that I admire so much. So I'm so happy that we're able to Uh, have Anne share her knowledge with us here uh, on this particular episode where we're talking about lard and other cooking fats it's been unreal to have you Anne we thank you so much I hope all of you guys have enjoyed this episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z on Heritage Radio Network please stay tuned, we have a bunch of uh, amazing guests coming down the pipe and I hope you guys stay tuned and stay interested Muchísimas gracias
4: Hasta Hasta
5: luego Thank you Anne
3: Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com/slash heritage radio network.
4: Mis entrañas.